So as I begin this evening, I want to uh, let our dear community know that uh, our dear friend and benefactor of many, many years, Frank Frederick, uh, recently passed away. And we were just, many of us were just speaking about him this evening, and I wondered, where's Frank? And, and his very dear wife uh, came and informed me. And, um, and so let's all, it's, you know, there's a view in the, at least in the Tibetan tradition, that after someone passes away, that they're, they are close at hand for a while as they, as they do a kind of, go through a kind of review. It's called going through the bardos. This, this gap between a, one, the ending of one life and the potential for the entering into a new. And who knows about any of that, but it's a long-running tradition. And it's, it is really a tradition that, that offers encouragement to the person who has passed away. And that encouragement is really uh, virtually the same instructions that we we need for living, and living wisely and, and wakefully. And the, the distillation of the encouragement is a, a simple passage that goes to, I don't have it with me tonight, but I'll give you the, the basic review. Is, it says, um, uh, remember the clear light. And when we talk, Every week we talk about the light of awareness, you know, that metaphor of light used to describe that, that uh, innate wakefulness that lives in us. And that innate, that innate um, um, wakefulness that lives in us is considered, and what can, one can recognize in the course of one's life is that is, that is uh, the, the um, element of our nature that is um, deathless, is unconditioned, and it's, it's often described as the ground luminosity. And our, our own individual, um, little, our own little individual version of the ground luminosity, and if one can recognize that, that luminosity when one, when one passes, they can be liberated. And if we recognize ourselves to be that primordial wakefulness, we can be liberated while we're alive and not become confused about who we are. So especially because the person has, has shed their body, they are engulfed in this light, but they're also engulfed potentially. Again, I can't know this for sure, but it's in the teachings. They're also visited by the, all the impressions of, their, of the life that they've had and their memories, their, their likes, their dislikes, their, all the intense experiences. And it's understood that if, and it's the same in daily life, if we get caught up in the, in the impressions that visit our mind, if we get caught up in the memories and the likes and the dislikes, we can wander a long time confused. Just like I began tonight saying, you know, we're often so caught up in the thoughts of our situation, we, and we lose the, the light of, of simple attention. We lose reality. And the same, the same can happen when we pass away. So the encouragement is to remember, 
and for all of us to re remember the clear light, the bright, shining light of our own nature. It's deathless. And you will be visited by many visions, pleasant visions, unpleasant visions, and if you can recognize those visions, and this is true in daily life as well, but this is to Frank, if you can recognize those visions and see that they're made of the same clear light as everything else, you'll be liberated. But if you, if you get caught in them, you lose sight of those, that they're just appearances, you can wander a long time confused. But don't forget that, the, that that light is only a split second, a half breath away. Remember the clear light. It's deathless. Um, and may you be happy. May you be peaceful. May you be liberated. Uh, may you remember the, the clear light. So let's all pray for for ourselves and for Frank to remember the clear light. Um, and to, for us, it's to remain undistracted, always, heedless, I mean heedful, sorry. And let's remember Frank. Frank was such a beautiful man who gave so much to our Sangha. And uh, I know that he can feel us just showering him with our appreciation, loving kindness and a deep wish that he remember the, the clear light. But for some reason, I have no, no doubt that he will. Thank you, Frank. So I think we'll just if it's okay with you, just stay on the subject of, of what's normal, getting back to Heidi Jane. And in the Theravada tradition of, of Buddhism, it's common in Southeast Asia, Sri Lanka, there is a reflection that one is encouraged to do every day, and it's essentially says, I am of the nature to, um, to age. I cannot avoid aging. I'm, the, I'm of the nature to become ill. I can't avoid illness. I'm of the nature to die. I can't avoid death. Uh, I will, so that's the heart of it is I'll, I'll get sick, I'll get old, and I'll die. And then in the Thai tradition, it says it's normal to get sick. It's normal to age. It's normal to die. And just to add the other two parts of the daily reflection, I'm sure to become separated from all that I hold near and dear. And then the last one that really speaks about how to, how to develop a feeling of greater safety in this life, that it has these essential dangers, is that I am the, um, that, that my actions are whatever I do with my body, speech, and mind, my actions are my uh, relations. I, I'm, the, I'm the inheritor of my actions. Uh, my happiness, or essentially my happiness or my unhappiness will depend on my actions, not on just my wish to, to be happy. So I, I plan to speak about this a little bit tonight 
because maybe many of you know, some of you don't. I, I don't know how many people read the bulletin. I don't know how many of you are aware that we, were not, we did not meet last week. We had some issues of, uh, of, uh, of somebody coming in and being aggressive. And we have a variety of little issues that have concerned us about, the, about a basic sense of safety here and wanting this to be a really safe refuge. And, and people who have had trauma and different kinds of experiences could you know, easily be triggered by, um, by the events that even took place here a few weeks ago where somebody came in and started picking fights. And so we paused a little bit and, and made the uh, agreement to have someone here who, who was familiar with the community. The, the, we have our encampment outside and they're just familiar with the community. And if there was any kind of event that happened that, we, that they were very also adept at de-escalation, at kind of lowering the heat, and doing whatever we can do to create a, a safe place so that this can continue to be a, a refuge for us. You know, that's really what Sangha is meant to be a refuge, a place of, and I say, I say safety, a place of relative safety, because these first, these daily reflections remind us that the danger of sickness, of aging, and death lurks for anyone who's born. It comes with the territory of being human. Because once we were born, we, we <laughs> by virtue of our human conditioning, laid claim on this body. But this body that we laid claim to uh, is not a, a reliably safe place because of all the, thing, you know, the things I've just said. So what, what it really means in the long run is that we, is we do everything we can to care for our bodies. We do everything that we can to care for our, our outer safety and creating, not being you know, foolish, not thinking that we can just be, be sweet and kind and, and the world won't come visit us uh, with, all its, with all its challenges and difficulties. But it also reminds us that we can, we can mitigate the impact of the inherent or inevitable pain that will confront us and knowing that the, the time of when that happened is uncertain, but it's inevitable. But we can mitigate that by, by um, developing what was in some ways more important to the Buddha, from what I understand from a little research that I did, more important than compassion and more important than kindness, which is being heedful. Heedful. The word heedful, H-E-E-D-F-U-L. And that means to be, to, um, to pay attention, to wake up, to see things the way they are, and to, to uh, not add to the, in, the inevitable <coughs> stress of our life with, um, with obliviousness, with complacency, with confusion, with, with um, actions that, um, that add to our suffering. So that the heart of being heedful, the heart of creating the, the, um, as much inner and outer safety as we can, at the heart of it is to practice 
every day, uh, keeping the basic um, precepts or training guidelines, the basic non-harming conduct. And, you know, it's interesting that I had a, I, I disclosed this to our, to our board, but I had a very strange experience when that fellow came in and was really aggressive a few weeks ago. I, as he was coming at me, I tapped into this place in me that could kill. And I wasn't scared. But fortunately, either by some good sense or from the Dharma, from practicing the Dharma, I knew that engaging in that kind of tit-for-tat would cause more harm, would not be of any benefit to anyone. And what it turns out is that, and I wrote this down when I was thinking about it today, that the, the primary danger that we experience is not what other people can do to us, even though that triggers a lot of unsafety. But the primary danger is in what they can get us to do. And then getting back to that sense that we are the inheritors of our actions. And if we truly want to have a feeling of inner and outer safety to the extent it can be had, we have to establish in ourselves an atmosphere of, of non-harming, of being willing to take the high road, be kind, be not kind because, because it's the inherent nature of your heart, be kind because it's a smart thing to do. And I don't want to be cynical about it, but it's this, it, it allows us to be together in more harmony. Um, and it's, it's also wise to be I always say it's wise, it's loving. The most loving thing we can do is be wise and, and heedful and understand that the normalcy of loss and separation so that we don't compound our suffering. So the, the most loving thing we can do for ourselves is to, is to develop wisdom. And the wisest thing we can do is be loving and not let ourselves be triggered into uh, into just compounding the reactivity that's, that already was so intense in the person coming in. And it was, it, I could really feel that impulse to just meet it with, with that. Uh, I don't even know how to talk about it. I get a little strange about it. So if we, if we mistreat another, you know, if somebody mistreats us, that's clearly, that's, that's on them. That's their, that plants that seed of, of karma, and it can ripple in so many ways whenever we cause harm to someone else. But if we react, that's on us. And we, we can train ourselves to be, um, that's where our mental training, our, our training of, of what's called sila, the you know the noble eightfold path. Sila is that is the basket of ethics, morality, conduct, what, that includes uh, wise speech, 
being careful in our speech, so much harm caused in speech, careful with our, with our uh, actions, and uh, careful with our livelihood. Uh, someone today proudly, and of course this is a person who, who has resources, but proudly said, I divested in any, in, uh, you know, people sometimes put their 401ks or their IRAs in mutual funds. And they demanded that their, whoever their, man, their person who targets that stuff for them, uh, made sure that, that there was no, that there were no companies uh, within the mutual fund that deal in weapons. And most of the mutual funds do. And that's a way that you can really have an impact on these, uh, these weapons manufacturers. If we don't understand the basic, basic uh, lack of um, ultimate safety, we can become really extreme in our demands for safety. Excessive. And that's where you get this proliferation of guns and then gun violence, and then people being heed, heedless and, it, and just compounding so much stress. So we give a huge gift to this world that we're not disconnected from, that we're all connected to, a huge gift by training ourselves in uh, de-escalation of our own um, mental uh, tendencies to, to cause harm. Um, so basic training precepts, not to kill, not to harm any living being, not to steal. So any kind of practice that you do has to be, it has to exclude killing, stealing, and what else? Lying, telling the truth, killing, stealing, lying. And then of course it has to exclude what's, what's often called the number one cause of heedlessness is the excessive use of intoxicants, is the excessive use of drugs, alcohol. And even though I, I do this slightly tongue-in-cheek, the excessive use of smartphones, it's an intoxicant that causes us confusion, cuts us off from the flow of life. So, so this is how we give, not only give ourselves safety, but we give safety to the entire world by, by um, training ourselves and then also training our minds to be steady enough, wakeful enough to, to create that moment of space where there's some choice point about how we want to speak, how we want to act and that we can notice what we're, what we're thinking. So that I'm, I'm thinking and I'm trying to say out loud what actually brings more safety. And it's being able to restrain certain actions, it's to practice the precepts, it's to practice really intensely, as the Buddha recommended, practice really intensely um, the, what are called the four Brahma-viharas, the awakening in us and reminding ourselves of the immeasurable qualities of love, uh, 
of compassion, of, of, of altruistic or sympathetic joy, and, and equanimity. And, you, and inculcating our, our stream of consciousness by using our conceptual mind and just referring to this, this inclination or this wish that we be happy and that others be happy that we be peaceful. And of course, we, know, we want to know what that means, happy. What does happy mean? Because that is the universal desire to be happy. But we're often really confused about what it means to be happy. But really connecting the, to know the happiness of a heart that's at peace. The happiness that comes from non-harming. The happiness that comes from a well-collected, concentrated mind. The happiness of a mind that's not reactive. So, we, so it's not just the happiness of getting what you want. And it's the happiness that is really possible for human beings and to, to want that for ourselves and want that for others and to keep repeating it over and over. So we remember, don't get confused by the, by the trance, the collective trance. I've, I've been supporting this young man who lives up, you know, far into the East Bay who just had, a, had an emotional breakdown recently, uh, having um, fallen into a kind of grandiose desire to be, have name and wealth and fame, and then meanwhile, he couldn't, couldn't uh, get through a class in school. So, so much, um, so much anxiety and interference and and you could see that he was tormented by not being able to fulfill this dream, this, this, um, this systemic cultural expectation that, and view that the way to happiness is to, is to have name and fame and fortune. And how easy it is to fall into the confusion and not seeing that there's not one person who made that their aim who, true, who found true happiness. And that even if you had the whole world, there would still follow a feeling of, okay, I've done that, now what? Dissatisfaction. It's always something that golden dreams keep moving. And you could see that the, this person is waking up to what to this open question, what is happiness? And so when we, but we know if you, if you have, if you've sat with, if you've opened your eyes to life, it doesn't come from, from accumulation. It comes from, from the heart that's not clinging, that's not grasping, that's not condemning, that's not waiting and postponing to be happy. That it, the happiness that is natural to us when our mind is free of its usual preoccupations. So may, may I be happy and may I experience the highest happiness, which is peace. So we often say, may I be happy and peaceful. And I always like to remember, and may I not lift out of this moment to find it. May I not associate happiness and peace with any other time than the very moment I'm, I'm in.
and the very consciousness through which I'm perceiving. And then, just as they say in the Tibetan tradition, may I recognize that sacred happiness and never be separated from it. So then the second thing to have going over and over, to the extent possible, may I feel safe in this world from inner and outer harm. And remember, the inner harm is is the um, is the reverberation of of uh, of harm that we've caused ourselves, harm that we've caused others in our body, speech, and mind. The inner harm is the is the um, the is the the judgment. You used the word judgment before. Is the judgment that repeats itself over and over? I should be different than the way I am. Uh, the, the, mis- the case of mistaken identity where I get so identified with my thoughts and some idea, some idealized view of how I'm supposed to be and nothing can measure up to that. And then I pummel myself. Uh, and all I'm doing is trying to, pr- what I'm doing, hit- the hidden aim is to try to perpetuate that I'm really this terrific person that it's not, I'm not quite measuring up to. But all these views of self, the Buddha called Sakaya Ditti, it's a view, it's just an idea. There's no there there. And just insults the beauty and amazingness of each of our individual natures with this idea. So inner harm, may I be free from that inner harm? May I be free from the harm of having caused myself that kind of harm and other kinds of harm? And may I be free of outer harm. And that, to me, that's a call to practice non-harming in my own, to inoculate myself to the extent I can by creating a field of safety for others. As we call it, the gift of fearlessness, where other people don't have to be afraid of you. Where you, you actually embody what the Buddha called the bliss of blamelessness. What a, and it creates safety for others, creates safety for yourself. So to have that, may I f- be free of inner and outer harm. May I feel safe from inner and outer harm. So again, it's a call to train, uh, as well as, um, as just acknowledging our heart's wish to feel safer, to feel happier, to feel more peaceful and not get confused about what we want, because that really is what drives us in our heart of hearts. It's, like, it's what we almost do everything for, to, at the end of the rainbow, to go, oh, I can rest now, I can feel peaceful, I can feel safe. We don't have to wait for that. And then the last, uh, last couple is, uh, may, I, my, may I have health and strength these are some of the traditional ones. May I be healthy and strong? And when I think of that, I also think of may I be mentally healthy and mentally strong? May I be resilient? May I have, may I have wisdom and understanding so that, I'm, so that I can meet the joys and the sorrows, meet sickness, old age, and death, which I have no idea when it will strike. May I meet it with grace, uh, with balance, with understanding, without adding, adding suffering to pain, knowing that 
The pain is inevitable. The suffering is really dependent on how I relate to it. And finally, in terms of training our mind, may I, may I have ease in my heart. Or may I, the traditional one is, may I have ease of well-being. So that, that feeling of wellness. And to me, that's a reminder, ease of well-being. The only way that I know to have ease of well-being is to have ease of well-being. It's an unconditional quality. And it's another reminder not to postpone, not to associate it with some other time. May I have ease of well-being. Of course, when we're experiencing loss or when we're experiencing, we may not feel easy or well, but there's, I remember when my, when my dad passed away. Um, there was a substratum. There was a kind of, there was a, there was a, I was retching like mad. Just, just retching. Of course, five minutes later, I'd be, I'd be okay. And then I'd retch some more, and I'd have a memory, and then retch some more, and it lasted a long time, but it just happened. But I also noticed that there was a substratum, a kind of undercurrent of, yeah, this is how it is. And there, there was, a, there was a, a well-being that didn't seem to get interrupted. And, and of course, to know whether this is so, we have to get to know ourselves independent of circumstances. We have to get to know that sense of, of just that, I want to say, um, just bare sense of being. Just, you know, when just stripped away of everything. What am I? And, you know, all I can really say is, awake, aware. Conscious. And I want to remember that, get used to it. And that gives me a little ground of, of well being. Um, now, other people might interpret this different, but that's what came up for me tonight. So, may we all be as safe as possible here, but we'll do the best we can. And but as I, I want to, I think I was going to read this at the beginning just because I thought we needed a little levity, but I'll save it for the end. It would have been funnier at the beginning. Now it's a little more serious. This is um, from Helen Keller. Avoiding danger is no safer in the long run than outright exposure. The fearful are caught as often as the bold. So while I'm at it, I'll read a few more Helen Keller. Death is no more than passing from one room into another. But there's a difference for me, you know, because in that other room, I shall be, ab I shall be able to see. <laughs> I am only one, but still I am one. I cannot do everything, but still I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do something that I can do. And then last but not least, the best and most beautiful things in the world cannot be seen or even touched. They must be felt with the heart. 
So let's just sit in our hearts and be felt. And may, may we all remember that heart or light of awareness. May Frank remember the pure light. May we all be happy and peaceful, safe and protected, healthy and strong, and have ease of well-being. May we all be liberated from confusion and harmful conduct. And may all beings benefit by our practice. May all beings feel more safe in this world because of us. Thanks for experimenting with the new configuration. I kind of like it. feel very close to you. In some moments, a little too close. <laughs> but anyway, love being with you all. And I will be gone the next two weeks, but next week, our very wonderful teacher, David Lewis, will be here, who's with us tonight. And the following week, uh, Tara Moulet will be leading the group. So the next two weeks, please come and support each other and support them and, and keep the fire burning. And then I'll be back in three weeks. So the next two weeks we'll be, have substitutes and this will all be reminded on the, on the bulletin. So please read the bulletin. It gives, tells you everything that's going on. And uh, thanks for coming tonight. And thanks for your generosity. Much appreciated. Oh yeah, and Catherine has one more little thing. Um, Wednesday mornings we have a group that comes in to use the space. If you could all help stack your chairs, we'd really appreciate it. We do it in stacks of four uh, and two rows deep, and then we keep the few benches free uh, so they can be used. Thank you so much. Uh, and please do not exit the garden. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.